Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. In a, in a, in a moment, we're going to start reading there. Um, this is a new year, right? This is the first Sunday of the new year. I just love that. Uh, how many of you, and I get, I get mixed reactions from this, how many of you made New Year's resolutions this year? Like, okay, so everybody used to do that. I only see about three hands. Um, so, uh, but, you know, and that's really fallen out of favor uh, of making New Year's resolutions. Somebody told me, I mentioned something about that, and somebody said, that's a terrible thing to do. Nobody should do that. But I just got to tell you, I love New Year's. And I, there are structural things in life that where you kind of start over. And I think that January is a, ta- is a new year. I think when, when we finish the summer, summer and we head into the fall, that's another time. And I think it's really important for us to have times in our life where we evaluate how we're doing in life, where we're headed, and that we kind of refocus and set goals. And so uh, I'm not promoting necessarily New Year's resolutions, but I think it's important for us to evaluate our lives. Have you ever heard that saying that says some people climb the ladder of success and when they get to the top, they realize that it is leaning against the wrong wall? Um, you know, that, that's a terrible thing. Uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people say things like, um, on your deathbed, nobody ever says, I wish I would have worked more. Uh, one of the things I thought about when I left my last church and came to this church, um, just looking back at the things that I had done in, the, in my years of ministry there, and uh, there were a lot of things that I sacrificed for, that I spent a lot of time on, and it was interesting driving away from that church, thinking about what are the sacrifices and the investments and the commitments that I was really thankful that I made, and Knowing that God is moving me somewhere else, are there things that if I could go back, I would not have spent as much time on? And you know what? There were a list of things that I made huge sacrifices for that I thought to myself, leaving this place, if I could go back, those are things I wouldn't do. And I think that in your life, it is important to think about where are you headed, what are you doing, and I think that we manage and use our time well. And, um, you know, one of the things is being efficient. You know, I want to be efficient. I'm always thinking about what's the fastest way to do things, what's the best way to get things done. But if you're efficiently doing the wrong things, that's not helpful. What's more important than being efficient, and that's not to say efficiency isn't important, but the most important thing is that you're doing the right things in your life. And I want to challenge you today as we start a new year to think about what are the priorities that you should have in your life? What are the things that you should be investing in? And, and I would just say you should be intentional. You should be purposeful. You should make some goals. You, you should think about if I want this in my life or if I want this thing to change, what are steps that I need to take to have those things happen? One of the things I think about when it comes to the way we live life is that we need habits. Um, habits are an incredible gift that God has given us, but we need to decide what is important, and then we need to practice those things until they become natural and until we do those things. And that's the way that we change, I believe, is by being committed to habits. And habits are things that you do, 
But they're not just things that you do. We need the right mental habits. We need to think rightly about life because our thoughts are what lead to actions. So we need to practice thinking right, and then we need to practice actually doing things. I heard this story about this, this person that wanted to be healthy, and they wanted to work out and those kinds of things. And so what they did was they would just get up every day, and then they would drive to the gym they would sit in the parking lot, and then they would drive home. They actually never went inside the gym, and they never did anything. And somebody said, what are you doing? And they said, I'm practicing going to the gym. And what they thought about was, if I go in there and I work out really hard one day, that doesn't do me any good. So what I want to do is I want to practice getting up in the morning and driving to the gym until that's just a really easy thing to do. And then after I've built that into my schedule, I'm going to start walking into the gym. Now, maybe that's uh, not, not, maybe you don't want to get that granular in your life and you want to actually practice going into the gym. But you know what? We need to pick the things that we want to do and then we need to practice them. And so um, one of the things that the Bible tells us is this, 1 Timothy 4, 7, it says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. One of the things I think about with this He's about to tell him something important, but he starts with saying, don't waste your time. And often one of the things that we need to, sometimes one of the best things that you can do in your life is to say, these are things I'm not going to do anymore because that makes room for things you should do. So Paul starts with Timothy and he says, don't get occupied in irreverent, silly myths. And then he says this, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. You know, that, I had such a different perspective on Christianity as a kid growing up. I felt like, yes, being a Christian, being spiritually faithful, that's wonderful for when you're in heaven, but it ruins your life today. And that's actually one of the main reasons I didn't want to be a Christian is I just thought, if I'm godly, if I pursue spiritual things, that would be terrible. I would wreck my life. And that's the way I thought. But the truth is, godliness is profitable in this life, but it's also profitable in eternity. I was thinking about uh, goals for the new year. And John talked about that. John, I want to prove to you that I was paying attention uh, when you taught. So last week, John talked about working rightly. It's a big chunk of your life. And that just says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And then just thinking about those four things that John brought up about the way we should view work, this big thing in our life. I want to take a step back and just ask us to consider our life as a whole, and work is a piece of that, but in your life as a whole, what are you committed to? What are you working on? What are your goals? And uh, I want to start by just actually reading... um, I want to read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and then we're going to focus on the idea in the last two verses. But it just says this in Ephesians 5, 1. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. But it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering 
and a sacrifice to God. So we live our life as a sacrifice for the Lord, loving each other. Man, that is a huge thing in the Christian life. Verse 3, uh, he's going to go on and talk about all the things we need to take out of our life because part of doing the right thing is making sure that you're not doing the wrong thing. He says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be ma- named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthy, filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous, that is an idolater. So people who do those things are actually worshiping an idol. They're worshiping something other than God. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. (laughs) By the way, all the stuff on that list... Those were all the things that I thought I needed in my life and all the things I thought God would take away from me if I became a Christian. So I truly was an idolater, even though I'd grown up in church. That's the way I lived my life. Then it goes on in verse 7. It says, Do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed in the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is visible That becomes visible in the light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, that's a context. I didn't want to just jump into two verses and take it away. But you know the big things are? A lot of sin in the world. We look around and we see that, right? And one of the things that is emphasized, Paul emphasizes here, is that the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. We live in a world where some people are on the road to heaven and some people are on the road to destruction. And we need to view life that way. We need to view ourselves that way. We need to realize that life is not a trial run. Um, What we do in this life is of eternal significance. And we need to keep that in mind for ourselves, that we're doing things that matter, and that understanding that God has put us here to reach the lost. God has put us here to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to live faithful lives. That's why God put us here. And then it says this in verse 15, and this is kind of our theme for this morning. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Hey, I think when we think about this year, I think we're going to see lots of things that we're not happy about. Um, I, you know, I quit watching the news because I, I just found myself really frustrated and upset every time I watched it. I would just see things that just, I thought, what is our world coming to? I would listen to things that news anchors are saying and just saying, this is ridiculous. Why does anybody listen to these people? 
and it just can be so frustrating. I, I, I saw some videos of people driving around in San Francisco, pulling up to a stop sign, a car pulling up next to them, bashing out their window, pulling out all their stuff and running off. And I just thought, man, that is insane. I saw another video of somebody stealing somebody's catalytic converter, and they pulled up, and they're sawing it off. There's a guy under the car. The homeowner comes out, and he says, hey, what are you doing? And there's a guy standing there with a pipe just hitting his hand, and he says, shut up and go back in the house while they steal his catalytic converter. And, and I look at that. I look at some of the political things that I see happening. I think about all the trauma that's going to potentially take place between now and the next election. When you think about all of those things, there's a lot that could be discouraging, frustrating, upsetting, and I think it's important for us to, to not become distracted by those things, that we won't, like one of the things that our, our news and our culture wants to do is create division. By the way, we live in a satanic world where Satan is the god of this world, and the goal is to always create conflict, difficulty, strife. And sometimes when we see things we don't like, we can have attitudes of frustration, hatred, anger. <laughs> One of the reasons I quit watching the news, because I see things like that and I think, I would like to go there and give those people what they deserve. Come to my house and tell me to go back in the house and see what happens. Um, you know, and, I, and I, I'm sitting in my living room and I'm having those thoughts and I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's actually not the way God wants me to think about the world. That is not how God wants me to think about people. These people are lost. They need the gospel. We're supposed to love one another. And so I, I, I just decided I would remove some temptation from my life by not, by not exposing myself to those things. So I want to give you guys this morning a list of four things that I think that you should prioritize. And there'll be a lot in our remaining time this morning. Um, but I would encourage you, get your phone, or if you're writing down, taking notes. Um, don't write down everything. But if there's one, two, or three things that stand out to you that you say, you know what, that's something that in my life I want to pay attention to. That's a goal that I want to have. Um, maybe write down a, a reference and write down a, a topic, write down a thing, and say, okay, I want to work on doing that. And by the way, as you sit there as, as a, a, a believer that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, as somebody who's reading and studying God's Word, um, I may say something, and the Holy Spirit may prompt you to think about something that I'm not even mentioning. But just, it'll come up in the context of everything. So just, I would encourage you, pick a few things. Make some goals. And, and commit to grow this year and to have a good year. So here's the first thing, is I would encourage us to prioritize personal intimacy with the Lord. I would say there is nothing more important in your life than your personal relationship with God, that you, are, that you love God, that you are faithful to Him, that you have an, an attitude of reverence that just says, God, I want to love you and I want to honor you in my life. Now, in Deuteronomy, we're given a command and somebody comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment in the Bible? And this is how Jesus responds. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. You know, when you think about the words that are used there, 
with all your heart. Man, that's what's inside. That's what drives you. That's what motivates you. Um, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, like that's every part of a person. God, Jesus says that God needs to be your greatest passion in every area of your life. And I would just ask you, is that true? Is loving, honoring, and pleasing God the most significant thing in your life, your greatest treasure, what drives and motivates everything in your life? I'll tell you some verses that um, that stand out in my mind as I think about the person I want to be and, and as I think about some people that I know and I think about what describes them. And these are verses that, that I just think, man, these verses describe people that I have so much respect for. And, and one is Second Chronicles 16.9, and it just says, For the eyes of the Lord run to, to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. That's Second Chronicles 16.9. Think about that. God is looking all over the earth to find people whose hearts are his, and he takes care of them, and he strongly blesses them. You know, that's one of the things I think about when you're, you're looking for somebody to be in a position of spiritual leadership. I think about this with our elders. I think about this with Darren, the things that I've seen in his life. You know, there are really talented, gifted, amazing people. And when it comes to the, the ability to run an organization, like there are some people that, and I look at like some pastors of mega churches, and I just think, man, that guy is so talented, so gifted. Man, he just comes in and look at that church grow. Look how amazing it is. Look at all the people. And when you show up, you walk through the door, and everything is just organized, and it's beautiful, and, and everything just runs, runs so nicely. And, and, and these big churches do these conferences, and everybody goes away to these conferences to say, this church is huge, and they're doing so good. How can we be like them? And so they go and take notes, and they go, okay, they have these pictures in their lobby. Where can we buy those? And then they put them up in their lobby and, and they just go, okay, what's, how do they organize their staff? They just go organize their staff that way. And, then, and this is the amazing thing. And then you find out about those people that they're having an affair with somebody or you listen to them preaching, they compromise scripture and they teach things that are wrong. And, and from the outside, people can go, oh, what an amazing worship leader. Listen to their voice. I mean, I walk into the room, and they're leading worship, and I'm so inspired, and, and I just feel motivated and moved, and I want to be there. And there's people who, who say, oh, man, when people show up to your church, the most important thing is the worship and the, the teaching and all these things. And, and I remember I was in a church as a new believer, and there was this guy, his wife uh, played harp on TBN, very gifted. He was an amazing worship leader. And they brought him to the church, and he uh, just led a choir, and he led worship. I remember his candidating process, and everything that he touched was just so awesome and inspiring and motivating. And um, I was, uh, at the time, a close friend of the pastor. I was over at his house during this guy's candidating week, and uh, he really wanted the job. So he pulls up in this little Honda CRX, and he's got music blaring out of his car. And the music was ZZ Top. She's got legs, and she knows how to use them. And then she gets the pastor's son, 
puts a pastor's son in his car, goes racing around the neighborhood. And I thought, man, this guy really wants this job. He's trying to oppress the pastor's kid. And I got to tell you, it transformed the worship in our church. Um, but within two years, that guy had had an affair with a lady in the choir. And I remember like watching all this stuff. I was a new Christian, been a believer for about six months. And I remember sitting with the pastor in his kitchen after I saw this guy take off, drive down the road. And I remember just saying to him, um, you realize he's playing, he's got legs and she knows how to, she's got legs and she knows how to use them. Like we're going to hire somebody to help our church worship God. And this is what he listens to in his in his spare time, like this is what he likes, this is what he promotes? Like is that really what we're looking for? And often when we evaluate ministry, when we evaluate people, we actually look at the wrong things. And you want to know something? God eventually brings those things to light. You ever hear about a ministry that's powerful, that's doing really well, they're amazing, and then you find out all of a sudden the scandal breaks and all the stuff happens? You know, eventually, God will bring those things to light. And, and you know what I want? I don't want any leaders in our church that God is against. I, I want leaders that have a heart that God just says, I'm going to bless whatever you do. And that doesn't mean, you know, I'm sorry, Darren, to talk about you again, but, you know, Darren's got an MDiv. He's got the same master's degree in Bible that I have. He has a Bible, uh, Bible college degree. Like, Darren's well qualified. But the reason that I want to see Darren in this position doesn't have to do with those external things. It doesn't have to do with his administrative ability, although he has that. It's because after knowing him for a lot of years, this person who loves the Lord wants to please the Lord. And I just feel like God's going to bless what he does. I want people like that around me. I want people like that in ministry whose hearts belong to God. You know, Isaiah 66, 2 says, all these things my hand has made. So all these things came to be. God's just saying, I'm the creator. And then he says, um, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. That's what we want, wholehearted. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, um, those verses, it's interesting, they combine loving God and loving people. Because when you love God, you will love people. And when you don't love people, it's because you don't love God. Uh, we love people made in God's image. And we're going to talk about that as to why Cain killed Abel. Cain kills a human being because he hates, he's mad at God. And that's always what happens when people don't love God, they attack people. When people do love God, they build up people. But you'll have to come back for our Genesis series to get more of that. So how do you develop personal intimacy with the Lord? Um, here's the first thing, um, God's Word. You develop personal intimacy with the Lord by prioritizing God's Word in your life. Psalm 119, 9-11 just says, How can a young man keep his way pure? 
by keeping it according to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And uh, don't let me, with all my heart I've sought you, don't let me wander for your, from your commands. Um, you see that God's word, our approach to God's word, is actually a reflection of our attitude toward God himself. So I want to encourage you, you should read your Bible. Um, if you don't have a habit of reading your Bible every single day, you need to figure out how to bring that into your life. So this week in our, in our weekly, we sent out like some links. And um, there are links to Bible apps. You could just get your Bible and just read it from beginning to end. There's all kinds of different programs. But you should be filling your life and your mind with God's Word. I, I put a link to my favorite Bible app in there and my favorite Bible program. So my thing is I read 10 chapters a day from 10 different places in the Bible. And so I'm reading through the Bible in 10 different places, and I just love that. And then this year I had a friend who sent me a, a text message or a little uh, message saying, will you read the, through the Bible with me? So this year I have two Bible programs that I'm going to be reading through. And you want to know something about that? I just think, hey, you know what? The more I can get, the better. Um, so, but you should pick something. And and I, I do that. That works for me. I love it. But this is my encouragement. Start small. Um, what's more important than reading a massive amount of the Bible or listening to a massive amount of the Bible is just do it every single day and do something small that you can do. So come up with a plan. Start small and don't get discouraged. I remember when I was a new believer, I just started reading the Bible like crazy. And so there was this like Bible program, read the Bible in a year. And I was three months ahead, you know, because I just every chance I got, I was just so hungry. I just wanted to read the Bible. But by the end of the year, I was three months behind. And it was just so challenging because I just, I felt so guilty and I was trying to catch up. And I just remember thinking, if I really love God, wouldn't I read the Bible? And I had all this pressure and all this guilt in my life. And so my encouragement to you is come up with the plan. It's not going to happen by itself. Two, start small. And number three, don't feel discouraged if you fall behind. Don't feel discouraged if you miss days. Can I tell you one of the things I love about my Bible app and my Bible plan? Sometimes I'll only get through half of what I intend. And you want to know something? I don't feel bad about that. The next year, day, I just do the other half. Sometimes I get behind. I was looking the other day at my Bible program. I was seven days behind. And so sometimes if I'm a little bit behind, I try to catch up. But you want to know one of the things I love about my Bible app? It has this, app, this little button that says, catch me up. <laughs> so I'm seven days behind. I push a button. Without reading anything, I'm right on track. And then you want to know what I do? I just start reading the next day. Don't feel discouraged. Don't feel beat up. Just make this a commitment and do it in your life and, and work on doing it every day. The other thing I would encourage you to do is memorize some verses in Scripture. As a kid, uh, my mom forced me to memorize verses, and I'm very thankful for that. Although at the time, I will tell you I hated it. It was absolute torture. My mom made me do this. But when I became a Christian, all of a sudden, I had all these things that were in my heart that as I was living my life that I could just, like I, situations would happen and I would just think about it. As a new Christian, I memorized Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 12, and then when I started being a youth pastor, I memorized the book of James, 
and then I memorized Colossians chapter 3. I've memorized a few other chapters in the Bible along with just a bunch of verses. Can I just tell you guys, if I could give you some advice for this year, memorize Romans chapter 12. It's one of the, one of the chapters I memorized as a new Christian, and I cannot tell you um, how much how many times, in how many situations and circumstances, verses from Romans chapter 12 inform how I should live, how I should think, and how I should behave. So, no pressure, but it really helped me. You should consider doing it. You want to know what the last thing about that part is? Obey it. Man, we, we read it, we memorize it, and then we're supposed to just do what it says. And we just need to be people that are committed to that. Um, in developing personal intimacy with the Lord, those things are a part of it. But pray. Pray for things. By the way, that is a, when I think about my goals for this year, prayer is one of them. And I was thinking about last year, and, and I'm thankful. I pray for you guys all the time whenever something comes up. But I've just decided that in this next year, I want to be more purposeful about praying for every single one of you specifically. So I'm going to come up with a system and a plan that's going to help me to pray for everybody who goes to Foothills. And uh, so I'm going to figure out how to do that. And uh, my prayer is that your life will be better this year because of me, because I'm going to pray for you, and because God answers prayer. You know, one of the things that you think about is in Jesus' life, here He is, God, a member of the Trinity, but one of the dominant things you see in Jesus' life is that he prayed. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. People around Jesus looked at him, they looked at his prayer life, and they just said, I want to pray like you. Will you teach me to pray like that? And so that's my commitment is this year. And you should pray for me <laughs> that I'll actually do that because if I do, it'll help you. So it's kind of praying for me is like praying for yourself. So you should do that. Um, so that's the first thing. We need to pursue personal intimacy with the Lord. The second thing is that we really need to develop as a goal that we are encouraging people, that we encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. That should be our goal. Uh, your goal should be that every brother and sister in Christ that their life is better off because of you. you know, I just got to tell you, there are people in this church that every time I see them, I am encouraged. I'm encouraged by the growth that I see in their life. I'm encouraged by the love and encouragement that they express to me. I am encouraged because they just want to help me. Whatever I need help with, they help me with it. And they're just people in my life that whenever I see them, I am encouraged that should be your goal, to be that person. Not for me, but for every believer in your life. That when, when, when anytime somebody meets you, their day's better off because of your involvement in their life. And that should be true when you show up here on Sunday morning. Um, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. near. I mean, you, and by the way, you guys are all here, right? 
but you should show up to church every week. So all the people who need to hear that aren't hearing it because they're not here. You guys are here. But being in church and doing in church what God calls you to do should be a goal. You know, uh, I've heard somebody say going to church doesn't mean anything. You ever heard that? You can stand in your garage, doesn't make you a car. You can go to McDonald's, it doesn't make you a hamburger. Going to church doesn't mean anything. And um, I just want to go out there and say, I don't think that's true. I think going to church does mean something. doesn't mean that going to church fixes everything in life. doesn't mean just because you go to church, you're a Christian. But I will tell you this. Going to church, maybe it means, I think it means a lot, but let's just say it doesn't mean a lot. I'll tell you what guaranteed means something is if you don't go to church. Going to church is a guarantee that you are spiritually unhealthy, that you are not the person that God intends you to do, that you are disobedient in your life, that you are missing out on what God intends for you. It was amazing. As a non-Christian, I found out that was true because uh, my mom made me go to church every single week. It was just like one of those things in our family. We went to church every week no matter what. I did gymnastics and I had a hard time ever getting to a gymnastics uh, tournament because they were always on Sundays. It was like this big major ordeal that I would miss church to go compete in something. I mean, church was a priority in our family. Now, I wasn't a Christian, didn't want to honor God in my life. I just, it was something I did because I was forced to. And one day, me and my mom got in this huge fight. I'm laying in bed, and she's waking me up, and we're having this big fight because I'm not ready in time, and our family's going to be late to church. And she just says, fine, we're going without you. And then she left, and I thought, this is awesome. (laughs) And I just thought, I'm going to stay home, and I'm going to keep this going. So I actually quit going to church. As a non-Christian who quit going to church, after three months, I started thinking about how different my life was. And I saw all these negative things in my life. Just being around other Christians kind of set a little bit of a moral tone in my life. You know, being in, being in a building where all the married people were faithful to each other, and I realize there's exceptions to that, but just the things that, the, the intangible things that you learn. The, the preaching in my church I thought was horrible. I used to sit in the church and think, please, could I, if I crawled under the chair, laid on the floor and went to sleep, would anybody notice? And you know what? It was blessing me in ways, even as an unbeliever, that I didn't realize. We need to be people that function rightly in the body of Christ. And that includes ministering in humility. You know, it's, I, I don't often talk about canon, but I just want to tell you this is one of those things that I love about canon is that he's there to serve. He's there to help. And it really doesn't matter. Like, so it could be um, the, like 20 minutes before worship practice starts He could have this song. He spent all this time working on it. He's picked it. He's made all the music. And I could just walk up to him and say, oh, hey, Cannon, I forgot to talk to you about this thing. Uh, I was thinking at some point I'd love to sing this song on Sunday. Hey, you don't have to do it. I would just like it if you did it, but you don't have to do it. I realize this last minute. You want to know what Cannon says 100% of the time? Oh, absolutely. If you want to do that, yeah, I'll do it. He'll toss off all the stuff he's been working on and do this thing that I've asked him to do without 
a thought. It's not, I don't, he, I don't ever feel like he thinks I've put him in an imposition. He's just like, oh, anything. How do I serve you? What could I do to make this better? If somebody's showing up that he's planning on, I really need you to play this instrument, and somebody shows up and says, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry, I had this thing come up, and I'm not going to be able to make it. Ken's always like, oh, no problem. Or somebody says, hey, I was going to help out in worship, but um, they really need Sunday school. They asked me to teach Sunday school, but I, I was gonna, I was gonna say no because I'd already make a, 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 I'd already made a commitment to doing worship. Candace says no, go teach Sunday school. Uh, when he has a skeleton crew, he tells people, if you can serve somewhere else in the body of Christ, go do it. And he stepped out of the room, so he's not hearing any of this, which, which is good. Oh, he went to the sound booth. Hey, good job, Cannon. I wouldn't have said all that good stuff if I knew you were in here. I don't want you to, I want you to stay humble. You know, I've worked with other people in ministry where it does not matter how minor the request is. They complain. They whine. Uh, I remember one time um, saying to somebody in a service, hey, there's this, I, I can't think of anything less significant to change. But there was a super minor thing I thought, you know, I think if we did this differently, it would be better. And I said, hey, can we try this thing out? And you would have thought, like, I lit the room on fire. People are like, no, we can't do that. People in the church are going to freak out if we change that. They're going to be so angry. We're going to get letters. And, and I remember sitting in this meeting going, you know, I think this is a pretty minor change. I don't think anybody's going to be upset about it. And uh, they were just so traumatized. And so I thought, well, I don't want to push that on them. But I, I retried it like three months later. I'm like, hey, how about we give this thing a try? Again, freaking out. People are going to write us letters. And I just said, no, you know what? We're going to make that change. But we'll keep track of it. And you guys can bring all your letters, the angry letters from the congregation to our staff meeting. And we'll talk about it and then decide if we want to do it. And it was so fun because... I walked into the next staff meeting, and I'm like, so anybody complained? you guys get any letters? It was like, no, nobody said anything. We didn't get any letters. And it's just like I think about what it means to show up just with an attitude of being a servant, that it's not about you. It's about other people, putting other people's needs first. Isn't that what God says we're supposed to do? So when you show up, Pursue your personal relationship with the Lord. Pursue encouraging and building up people in the body of Christ. Here's a third one. Avoid bad influences and don't be a bad influence. Like, think about that. Who are the people in your life that are, a, spiritually speaking, a bad influence on you? Avoid that. Do you ever find yourself being a bad influence on somebody else? Man, avoid that. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Think about Mark 9. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better to him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Uh, we need to be careful about the people who are influencing us. It's kind of interesting. There, there, are, there are times that we'll be doing things in the church that are just awesome. Man, I'm looking around, and everybody's excited, and it's wonderful. And then somebody 
will come and just they have a bad attitude and they're complaining and they're miserable. And I think about how do you see all this amazing stuff going on and to be so negative and complaining? And then you find out who they've been hanging out with. And it's like, oh, okay, now that makes sense to me. And they pick people that are, have bad attitudes, that are negative, that are critical. And it doesn't matter what happens, they'll complain about it. And they surround themselves with those people. And it's interesting because sometimes somebody will leave and they're gone. But everybody that they can hang out with and that they can kind of send back into the group, it's like they send their influence through other people. Don't be a bad example. Uh, don't, don't be a, uh, a negative influence and actually get away from those negative influences in your life. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, people that are grumpy and that dispute and that complain, you know, that impacts significantly your ability to be a positive spiritual influence in other people's lives. God intends for us to be lights. And that doesn't happen when we're grumpy, when we're complaining, when we're critical, when we're just, when we're having conflicts and fights with people. You are not the spiritual influence that God intends. And we need to say, hey, I love people, and I'm going to encourage them. And, and that's actually, to some degree, where prayer comes in. You ever go to church, and something happens, and you don't like it the way it happened? You don't think it's as good as it could be? Have you ever heard me preach? This is probably not true, but have you ever heard me preach and thought he could have done that different or better? That never happens. <laughs> you know what you do when you're around people who struggle? Or when you're around things that are not all they should be? You want to know what you do? You pray for them. You pray, Lord, help that person to get better at this. You see people that need to change. You pray for them. Lord, help that person change. You know, there's not a person in existence, including me, that couldn't do everything they do better. So we love people. We encourage people. We help people. And we pray for people. And those need to be part of what we're committed to. So avoid bad influences in your life. And then here's our final thing. Um, make a commitment to enjoy your life. Hey, how's that? How's that for a, how's that for a commitment? I want to have fun. I want to enjoy life. You know, John was talking about that and working well, where he says, just work in a way that you love your job. If you hate your job, change your attitude or maybe change your job. We need to be people that enjoy the life that God's given us. That should be a goal, that I want to be happy, that I want to enjoy my life. That, that is, by the way, a goal God intends you to have. You know, um, the book of Ecclesiastes you should read. You know what the book of Ecclesiastes says? Be happy. Realize that this life is a vapor. And don't try to find enjoyment in the wrong places Find enjoyment in the right places. One of my favorite things is, is it just the, the Bible where it says, enjoy the wife of your youth. You have any idea how many people struggle in marriage and they're always fighting and they just think, oh, my marriage is making me miserable. I just think God intends marriage to make you happy. Work on having a great marriage. 
and, and people miss out. God gives these incredible gifts. And because we don't think rightly and don't approach things rightly, we take something that could be amazingly good and it becomes this source of misery in our life. If you're married, you should be happy. That is one of the greatest gifts that God gives is marriage. And when we do it God's way, it is a blessing. And um, if you're not married, well, Darren's not married. <laughs> And I just say that because some of you over here really laughed. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's a good friend of Darren's. Been trying to change that about him. But anyway, um, but the thing I would say about this, I love that Darren's not married. Um, and there's people who think to themselves, really, can you have an unmarried pastor? Don't pastors need to be married? What, what about their wife? How's, who's going to relate to the women in the church? And I would just say all the other women in the church. And uh, I just love that in the qualifications for elders, it talks about marriage. But you want to know who wasn't married? Paul wasn't married. You want to know what it says in 1 Corinthians? Paul says, I wish there were more single people because you have more freedom to minister. And I'm just thankful that our church staff is going to reflect the blessing of marriage and the blessing of singleness. I'm thankful for that. And so um, if you're married, be happy. And if you're single you should be happy. That is also a good thing. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes 11.9. It says, Rejoice, O man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. In other words, go do the things you want to do. When you see something good, go do it. Go have fun. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Isn't that interesting? Can I tell you what that's not saying? Uh, go have fun in this life, but just know you'll go to hell eventually. Uh, go have as much fun as you can right now, but God's going to punish you for it later. That is not what that is saying. That is saying go have fun. Go pursue good things in life, but don't pursue sin. Remember that we live our lives in the worship of God. And so in spiritual faithfulness, go have fun. That's what Ecclesiastes says. It goes on and it says, listen to this, remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. He's just saying you're only young once. Don't be anxious. Don't be stressed out. Enjoy the things that God put in front of you. You know, the, I, I, I read this and went and climbed Mount Whitney. Because I was just thinking to myself, my dad had had heart trouble. He went to Big Bear. And when he was up in Big Bear, we had to like he had to be rushed down because the elevation almost killed him. And I just thought, I better climb Mount Whitney now while I'm still physically able. You know, just the whole thing about all this stuff is enjoy life. Have fun. That should be a pursuit. But don't pursue sin. Look what it says in verse 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I'll have no pleasure in them. One day I'm going to be in a convalescent home in a wheelchair. I was going to be all everything wrong with me. I'm going to be in pain. You know, I've seen so many old people, and I just think, man, be, getting old is not for sissies. You know, it's like young people are strong and healthy, and, and you hit that stage in your life where everything hurts. And you want to know something? When everything hurts, life is a gift. 
And I thought about one day if I'm stuck in a bed and I can't do anything and my body's in pain, just like bring some grandkids into the room. Let me smile at them and, and touch their hand. That'll be awesome. And then I know that eventually the Lord will take me. I'll go home and be in heaven. That's going to be amazing too. Um, it says in verse 13, this is, it says, remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Verse 13, the end of the matter when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Man, that should be summary of my life. My prayer for you and for all of us is that this will be a year of pleasing the Lord. You know, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so in just a moment, I'm going to read some passages. And in just a moment, you're going to be able to come up and we have uh, tables in the, in the back of the room with some bread and, and some drink in them. And the bread represents the body of Christ and the cup represents the blood of Christ. Do you want to know why we can live life this way? You want to know why we can pursue life and just have fun that no matter what goes wrong in life, ultimately it's still good. The reason that we can live that way is because we're children of God. The fact that God saved us, that, that we were sinners, that Jesus came to this earth, took on flesh, lived a perfect life on earth, and died on the cross, and that His death on the cross paid for our sin. And his life of righteousness is the life that you and I get credit for. When we stand before God, he will see the righteousness of Jesus, and he will, when he thinks about our sin and everything wrong with us, that he thought about when Jesus was being nailed to the cross. And what it means to be a Christian is basically just realizing that you're a sinner, that you deserve God's wrath, that you're separated from Him, and that the only way that you can be right with God in this life and in eternity is through the sacrifice that Jesus made. And so when we get together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's not because if we eat this bread, it takes away our sin. It is not that drinking this cup takes away our sin. It was the death of Jesus that took away our sin. And when we came to realize that and said, God, Please forgive me for my sin. I'm going to worship you. I am going to trust you. I am going to rely on you for my hope in the future. You could say it this way. If you were to stand before God and, say, why, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? You know, the only answer is because I trust the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. If you think, well, I've done more good things than bad, you're not going to heaven if you realize that Jesus was righteous on your behalf and you've trusted Him, that's what allows a person to go to heaven. And that's what we celebrate. When we do the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that. This is uh, what, how Paul describes that. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So when they're, when they're um, playing music, I would just invite you, whenever you're ready, just get up, walk over to the tub, cup table, take the bread, take the cup, and then you can sit down. Let me pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your goodness. I pray that this would be an amazing year of us living life with the right goals, the right purposes. And Lord, we thank You for the sacrifice that You made on the cross, that our standing is not because we are good enough. We stand before You on the basis of what Your Son did on the cross for us in Your name. Amen.